good to see everybody here this morning. Go ahead and turn your Bibles. That is Exodus 20. <clears throat> Go ahead and turn to Exodus 20. I don't care how old you are, if you have it memorized. Hunter, I don't, I don't need it. I have the whole book of Exodus memorized. I want to see if you do, okay? Go ahead for my elementary, my middle school, my high school. My adults, my seniors, have your Bible open. I want you to be at Exodus 20. And then I want a tassel. The only place that I'm going to have you flip, um, that's not true, but only one of the places I'm going to have you flip is to Philippians 4. Go ahead and put that there because I'm not going to transition a lot of time. So I want you to be ready for it when we hit it near the end. And so go ahead and put a tassel in Philippians 4 and have your Bible open to Exodus 20. So here's the the question of the morning. If you are a note taker, and that is the question of simply, church, are you full? Are you full this morning? And so every morning as we have read through the Ten Commandments, I told you we were going to be about a month and a half in Exodus 20. We have taken our time. God is blessed. These have been hard messages. They've tackled a lot of challenging subjects, but God has been good. And so every morning on Sunday, we have read no matter what commandment we are in, we have started from the top and We won't deviate from that plan this morning. So listen to God's word in verses 1 through 17. The Lord says, and God spoke all of these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Command one, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor shall you serve them. For I am the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of those who love me. And keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember, church, the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, or your female one, nor your cattle, nor their stranger who's within your gates. For six days the Lord made the heavens, and he made the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. The Lord says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land in which the Lord your God is giving you. Church, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Highlight 17 for me, please, church. You shall not covet your neighbor's home. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, nor his female one, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is of your neighbor's. Let's bow our heads and let's pray for our time this morning. Lord, we thank you for today. As my brother Brad said, Lord, thank you for every moment that we've already experienced I am so encouraged as I pull in, as I see Miss Ellen making the coffee and Stoney making sure everything is plugged in. Even that, within the first 15 seconds of me being in your church, I am blessed. I see all of our serving members of the church from nursery to our adult classes, and I'm blessed. The fact that I see my children in the church, I'm blessed. 
Lord, I am so blessed to have our praise team and our musicians. Mistakes and all, I am blessed. Lord, I am blessed by your word. So, Lord, I pray that you open ears and open eyes, open hearts to what you have in store for us. Remove all distractions, all agendas, all opinions, all debates. And, Lord, let us feast our eyes on the greatest part of the day, and that is your holy and inherent word. And in harmony, in the Lord's name, the church says, Amen. So the last of the commandments where we will spend most of our time today is really the opposing book end to where the Lord began. And so where the Lord ends in the 10th commandment is really staring at where he began in the first. So, so church, what was the first commandment in Exodus 20? The Lord says that you shall have no other God before me. So what does that mean? It's, it's pretty simple. The Lord God on the mountains, Mount Sinai, covered in smoke and flames, all of the people staring at him. He says, you shall not love, you shall not believe, you shall not praise, you shall not follow, you shall not worship anyone but me. Now, fast forward to the end of that bookshelf. And he says, now be okay with the life that comes with it. Only trust and follow me. And he ends with, now be okay with the life that comes with it. And so what is the 10th commandment? Not to covet. Well, it's deeper than just this idea of, I want something that is not mine or I'm never satisfied. To covet literally means that it's not that I just want more, but I want what you have, right? But it's deeper than that. That is action-oriented. The issue is not so much coveting, it's the heart sin that really leads to covet. And so what we see is, is a spirit of discontentment. And so the 10th command, I told you to highlight it, is really a call for a Christian contentment in the life of following the Lord Jesus Christ. I was talking to... Uh, My sister June here, and she was talking about our Sunday school class before service, and she's in Clay's class, and Nikki did a fantastic job. And I was talking to her about what she learned, and does she know what this word covet means, and does she understand what contentment means? And, And I said that it really derives from this idea of being full. That's what contentment means. So if I was to say to you, man, the Lord's calling you to contentment, you know, what does that mean? It's kind of the idea of I couldn't take another bite. You ever go to a restaurant and you go, man, this was so delicious and I ate so much. I don't know how I could literally take another bite of this fantastic meal. That's what contentment means. I've had enough. I'm full. And so to oppose that, what the Lord is really telling you not to do is don't always desire more. And not only do you not desire more, Don't desire what's not on your plate. If someone has something that you don't have, he says, be content, be thankful for the fantastic meal that I've given you, right? It's this idea of not being satisfied ever. And so when you covet, which we all have, Brad said that was a good one, right? That was one that we could all relate to. You can covet anything. The easy ones are like material possessions, and that's from children playing in the nursery that you have my block and I want it, versus seniors and adults that are coveting people's homes. And so we go, man, like, I wish my home was nicer than I have, right? I wish I had a bigger home. I wish that I had a nicer car. I wish that my spouse was a little different. I wish that my kids were more athletic. I wish that I lived in a different space. You can even covet concepts and thoughts and theories. You can go, you know what? I'm I'm seeing the space that my brother's in, his mind. And man, I, I really envy that. There could be moments in time. You could see someone on social media because everything on social media is spot on and accurate, right? 
And so you could be looking at people's Rolodex of their glorious life because that's what we like to post. And we go, man, don't they look wonderfully happy, right? It's nothing but beast trips for that family and new cars. And then you look at your life and you go, man, I, I wish I had that. So discontentment. And so what the Lord is saying, he says, when I look at my brother Philip, who I, who I love, it's not just simply, man, like, I wish I had what Philip had. That is what it is. But he says it's deeper than that. It's Hunter. The reason that you want what he has is because you're not thankful what God has given you. So to covet is what fuels envy. Some of you are envious. Covetness and discontentment is what fuels division in so many of your relationships. Some of us church and we all have struggle, but some of you are complainers. Amen. 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 Some of you are complainers. And you're like, Hunter, I have a lot to complain about. Maybe you do. But man, when you start digging about why the complainer complains, most of the time it's the discontentment in their hearts. They're not points or thoughts that they're really upset about or things that I think they should be better. It's that I'm never satisfied. I'm never content. And so I'm always going to covet. I'm always going to complain. I'm always going to create division. You don't have to flip in your Bible here, but... The Bible talks very explicit about all of this in words that we should all understand. In James, you don't have to flip. In James 4, God's word says, where do wars and fights come from among you? So all the division that you have in your life, all the fights and the conflict, where do they come from? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and you covet and cannot obtain. You fight a war, yet you do not have because you don't ask. And you ask and you don't receive. Why? Because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. And so we saw this even in the beginning of time, guys, in the garden when, when Eve took that fruit which is an item of food, right? We need food. Did she take it because she was hungry? This is a great little thought, okay? From the beginning of time, only man and woman and God walked the earth. Why did Eve take the fruit? Was it because she was starving and that was the greatest of all the fruit trees? No. The reason that she took the fruit is because Eve desired that which was not hers to have. And so, hey, listen, don't always look at people and want what they have. We tell our kids that. I know they have more. I know they are more. I know you want those shoes. It's not that simple. You can't cut that off. I can't look at my kids and go, don't be jealous. And they're like, oh, I'm glad you told me that. No, jealousy is in our heart. But it's not just jealousy. It's not just desire. It's discontentment. The reason that I have an issue in my home and within the school and this country and this church is we are not satisfied with what we do have. It's an inward issue more than it is an outward one. And so what stems from Eve taking that apple? They chase destruction. I thought about this many times this week. In the garden, Adam and Eve, they had everything. And it still wasn't enough. You ever think about this? Do you ever think this about someone in your life? Do you think, man, my my kids are never happy. My wife is never happy. My husband is never happy. My employees are never happy. The church is never happy. Why should they be? They were in perfection. They had everything and it still was not enough. So why would you think they would ever be enough today? They had everything and they were still not satisfied. And look at the thousands of years of destruction that followed it. Once again, you don't have to flip. But in James, it says, James 1 What does it profit, my brother, if someone says he has faith and does not have works? 
But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when we desire, it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is an inward problem and an inward destruction more than it is an outward issue in your life. So jealousy and division and envy is birthed by an ungrateful heart and spirit. And we see this in many examples from our desires for more and our desires for less. First Timothy 6, 9 says, But those desire who to be rich, for those who desire to be rich fall into multiple temptations, into a snare. I want you to think of that word. Into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Do you know what a snare is? I didn't really realize this until I was watching one of those, you know, lost or alone shows on the Discovery Channel. It's a hunting word. And so what people would do mostly back in the day, some do it today, is they would go out and they would plunder for food and they would look about where rabbits and squirrels and everything would run in the forest and they would know the path. They would see the footprints so they would know where these animals are going. And so what a snare is, is basically um, an intentional noose. It's a see-through, almost like a, like a fishing wire. You wouldn't be able to see it unless you were holding it. And what these hunters would do, they would tie these little nooses on sticks and twigs and different roots. And the animal, when they would run through the path in which the hunter knew the way they would go, they would basically run through this noose and hang themselves. And so what does the word of the Lord say? He goes, man, when you desire something that God has not given you, you're basically running on a path in which you're going to hang yourself. How many of us are in that space? Like you are chasing that which is actually going to destroy you. So I think that it's a good question that all of mankind needs to ask at some point in their life is what does my heart most desire? Let's slow it down. For my brother Brock and my sister Joellen and Lori and Brad and Liam David and Hunter Jones, what do you most desire in your heart? And when you're able to answer that, ask the question of where are those desires going to lead me? What do you want the most? What's going to satisfy you? What's going to make you happy? The waiter comes to your table and he's serving up life. And he goes, brother, what would you like to eat? And you go, man, I'm glad you asked what's on the menu. He says, everything. Everything's on the menu. And you go, well, let me think. So I'm asking you the question, what do you most desire? And once you identify what you're going to have to dinner, where are those desires going to lead you? Are they going to lead you to righteousness and a closeness with the Lord? Or is it actually going to lead you to nooses that are placed on the path? Most of us will spend our life chasing or we will drown in that which we have caught. Let's say it again. If you've got a pen, write it down. I wish somebody would have told me this at 20. Most of us will spend 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years chasing that which is unattainable, or you will drown in that which you have actually caught. You will willingly place your head and your neck around the noose that is meant to kill you on the path in which the enemy knows that you're running. Now, biblically, where is the danger in all of this? Because the truth is, this message so far could have even been for the lost man. These are just words of wisdom about how it means to live a healthy life, right? So biblically, what is the danger? And it's simply this. When you and I spend our entire existence desiring something that we do not have or what others possess, we spend no time being grateful and thankful for what we do have. So you become the people of the if-onlys. Like, if only I was married. Like, if only I had a spouse. And now that you have a spouse, only if my spouse was greater than he is. And then you know what? If only I had children. And then if only I had two children and three children and 
four children. Maybe that was too many, right? If only, if only I was married and only if my marriage looked like this and if only I had kids. And then when you get those little kids, if only they were like this. If only they were smarter, if only they were more athletic, if they were only more popular, if they only got into that school or made all-stars, if only, if only, if only. If only I had a bigger home. If only I was in charge, if only I was the boss. If only I had the respect like he has the respect. If only my wife acted like that. If only I had better health. So what you end up doing when you become the people of if onlys, you develop very quickly an ungrateful heart. And when you have an ungrateful heart, then we covet and we hurt people. And so a lot of you guys, you have attacked people in your life, not because of points that you have or justification that you might feel. It is that you are literally discontent with your own life. So if I'm discontent with my own life, if I'm discontent with the waiter brought me to eat, I'm going to attack everybody else, right? So it's not just simply you're a complainer. We all have those people. Man, they complain all the time. Like if you won the lottery, you would gripe about paying taxes on it, right? It's too easy. That's too simple. It's not that you're a complainer or you just wish the waiter brought you something else. It's that you're never satisfied with what's on your plate. And when you're not satisfied with what's on your plate, it's impossible to praise and worship the food that you do have. Do you know what it means? Please hang with me. Do you know what it means to worship? You know why we're singing? You know, Hunter, I'm not a singer. I'm not either. Do you know why we're singing? Do you know why we're giving? Do you know why we're serving? Do you know why we come to? Do you know why? It is worship. Do you know what worship is? It is the outpouring of thankfulness. But how could you ever worship if you're never thankful? Like when we're not thankful, yeah, we're just staring at a bunch of people singing songs that we don't want to sing. So it's no surprise. I just wish you would sing. I wish you would give. I wish you would serve. You can wish all you want. It's not going to happen. Why? Because we're ungrateful. We're discontent. Those who sing, those who give, those who worship, those who praise have a heart of thanksgiving for the meal that stands before them. So what does the Lord say? Do not worship, do not praise anything before me. And now be at peace with the life that comes with it. Because when you have placed your faith and your trust in me and you are at peace with the life that he has given you, then you can praise. Then you can worship. Then it's not that I just desire what Philip wants, man. No, no, no. I'm celebrating what my brother actually has. Let me ask you that. It's not even on the notes. It's just a question. Do you celebrate other people's wins? Honestly? Do you celebrate other people's wins when their kids achieve something? When they get that bigger home, when they get that nicer car, when they go somewhere, when they have a gifting, when God has blessed them? Do you celebrate their wins? Most of us don't. Do you know why? And it's not because you're just a little frustrated with them. That's too easy of an excuse. The reason you don't celebrate their wins is because you have an ungrateful, unthankful, discontented heart. That's why. Because, man, when we are thankful, when we are thankful that God has created, that God has saved, that God has blessed. Well, brother, anything good that happens to my brother Brent's life is my win, too. Because I am full. I couldn't take another bite even if I wanted to. So are you full? Or are you starving? A reporter asked billionaire, billionaire with a B, Nelson Rockefeller. He asked the question, Nelson, how much money does it take for a man to be happy? And he answered just a little bit more than I currently have. Just a little bit more. And once I reached that, just a little bit more. 
And raise your hand if you've arrived. Like all your dreams, you, you, you got to the top of the ladder and it's everything you wished it would be. You're hanging on the last rung. Raise your hand for the whole church to see you. If you finally arrived. Do you know why you haven't arrived? It's not because that goal wasn't met. It's because it doesn't exist. It's an illusion. Solomon, the wisest and richest man to ever walk the earth, says he who loves money, guess what, will never be satisfied with the money he gets. And so what is your if only? Is it all stars? Is it promotion? Is it kids? Is it a clean bill of health? Is it more money? Because once you obtain it, you'll still be hungry. Never full. Always hungry. And then when you get the meal, you'll always desire what the person has next to you. This is a wonderful quote or a poem by Charles Swindle. I want you to listen to it. It's a wise word that we all need to digest. It says, it was spring, but it was summer that I actually wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors is what I sought. It was summer, but it was fall that I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air is what I desired most. It was now fall, but actually it was winter that I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season is what beat my heart the most. It was winter now, but it was spring that I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child and it was adulthood that I wanted, the freedom and the, the respect. I was 20, but it was actually 30 that I desired the most, to be mature and to be sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 now that I wanted to be young and free-spirited and carefree. I was retired, but it was middle-aged. I wanted the presence of mind without limitations. My life is now over, and I never got anything that I actually wanted. When we first got married, we had very little. We had nothing. And so we bought this house um, near, near Miss Nancy, Miss Janice's mother. And we bought this house, I think our house, it was like $41,000, you know, and we, were, we thought we lived in a mansion. <laughs> and so at that time, when we first got married, we were married for about four months, and I had this guy that was in my wedding, his name was Joe. I hope he's listening. Joe came and he said, Hunter, I need a place to live. I'll help out with groceries. Can I stay anywhere from one to two to ten months with you, right? And because we had nothing, we were like, Free groceries, you know. And so Joe was known. He lived with us for about six, seven months. He was known for being the most carefree, spirited man you will ever meet. Like he was the life of the party. You know those? He was a Chris Farley type. And so like everyone loved. Joe walked into the room and everybody wanted to be around Joe. He had the greatest personality. And so we enjoyed him being with us. And so Joe had very little, though. He was, like I said, not married, no kids, no job. He was trying to figure it out, but he had a wonderful outlook on life. And so Joe comes to my house, and I remember him looking at my wife one day and myself one day. He goes, guys, man, you have it. You have it. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, man, like, look at this, just this little home. And, and I know that you don't have much, but like in my eyes, you got everything. You got a wife that loves you and she's in there like cooking and you're watching the game and you're laughing. You're, you're playing games together at night. Like, man, you've arrived. Like, I'm so envious of what you have. I was, man, at that time, Wendy babysat for a doctor in Jackson who had a lot more than we had and kind of had everything that we wanted. And so we would go, he was a doctor and she was a doctor, right? And so we would go and this doctor was super, super nice to my wife and I. So on the weekends, they'd go, hey, come watch my child and bring Hunter along and, and y'all go out to eat. We'll pay for all of it. Take her out, take her out, take her out. So my wife babysat for these people, house sit every once in a while. And so one time we brought Joe 
And so Joe and Hunter and Wendy walk into the doctor's house. This house, it was the house we wanted. It had the nice Bermuda grass. It had a pool. It had two stories. It was everything that a 22-year-old would ever desire and seek. We envied them. And so I remember Joe walking into this doctor's house just full of personality and character that everybody loved. And he was talking to the doctors. And Joe said, hey, can you excuse me? Tell me where your bathroom is. And Joe went to the bathroom and the doctor looked at me and said, man, I would do anything to go back to being so carefree as your friend Joe. It's full circle. The doctor looked at the young homeless guy and goes, man, I'd do anything to get back to where he is. And we're just kind of stuck somewhere in the middle. You never arrive when you're not content and satisfied with the blessings that God has given you and in the space in that you walk in, you will always be miserable when you get to that next space. You know what my kids talk to me about? The next school that they're going to. Remember that? And then when you get to that school, what would it be? It would be the next school they go to. And they're like, man, you don't have to go to school, Dad. You just get to work and they pay you. And then adult, what happens when you go to work and they start paying you, right? You're like, man, I'd do anything to go back to school, right? (laughs) Amen. And it's not the school's issue. It's not your work. It's not your money. It's not your bills. It's not your circumstances. It's the discontent sin in your heart because you are never satisfied with the blessings that God has actually given you. Your boss isn't your problem. Your circumstances aren't your problem. Your kids, your wives, your people, your problems, your complaints are not your problems. It's that you're discontent in your heart. You're ungrateful and you are unthankful with the filet mignon that's already been put before you. Can you in any way relate to this? I'm never satisfied. I am always wishing different. I am hard to please. Can you relate to this? When it comes to contentment, Paul speaks of this because he calls it a learned secret. So I told you to go to Philippians. We heard this early this morning. Go to Philippians 4, please. Paul calls this contentment such an easy thought, such an easy idea. Be thankful, right? He calls it a learned secret. A secret. Listen to the first three verses again, 10 through 13. So Paul says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regards to need, for I have learned in whatever state that I am to be content. Where is Paul writing this from, church? I'm asking you. You can speak up. Where is Paul writing the book of Philippians? Prison. Prison. He's not on the beach. He hasn't arrived. This isn't a Facebook post with him and his beautiful family in their two-story house going, hey, I'm happy. Like, I'm satisfied. Like, everything I've wanted, I've finally gotten. My brother speaks behind bars. And what does he say? No matter what situation I'm in, I've learned to be content I know how to be a best and I know how to be abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to be abound to the suffer need. I can now do all things who Christ who strengthens me. Here's the truth. If you haven't heard anything, here's a good word that I need you to digest. If God wanted you to have more, you would have it. Let that squash all of your wasted time of being if only people. If God desired you to have more, you would have it. If God desired you to be gifted or made differently than you are, you would be it. If God desired different circumstances in your life, well, you would be in them. 
And so instead of being those who are the if only people, we are called to be thankful and glorify him no matter what comes our way. So what you and I are called to be is to be grateful, to be thankful, to be faithful men and women who are the no matter what people. I am not going to be the if onlys. I am going to be the no matter what. And so Celia put this slide up. Contentment is desiring what God wants more than what we want. Is that you? Because that's where the space that Paul speaks out of. Contentment, satisfaction, to be full, not to desire what my brother and sister has, to celebrate their wins. Contentment is desiring what God wants in our life more than what we want in our life. And when we start to do that, our desires change. Our taste buds change because God is not just enough. He is more than enough. I had lunch with my brother Stoney DeVille this week. And y'all know Stoney very well, um, but I encourage you to go have lunch with him. Stoney is not just a wonderful, godly brother of mine. He's also super fascinating. Stoney, are you in here? Where's Stoney at? Right there. Where is Stoney at? If I'm going to embarrass him, I want to make sure that he's in here. Stoney is very fascinating, and he's very fascinating because he always has some random, crazy story that I've never heard every time. And so, like, I feel like I've heard everything, and then he'll sit with me and I'm like, oh, yeah, I lived in Japan for eight months. And I was like, what? You know, like, he always has some, like, how old are you? Like, you know, like, <laughs> he always has some crazy, really fascinating story. And so we always joke about him going and, you know, being the sound guy with like Hootie and the Blowfish and Sarah Evans and all of these big bands. And I want you to understand, not only is my brother brilliant, I mean, just one in a million type brain, he's done and seen a lot. And so he's traveled this whole country and he's traveled outside of this country doing sound and equipment with big singers. And so I'm sitting with him over some tacos. And he's talking about the fourth event and he's talking about the praise team and getting ready for God's day. And he's just beside himself. Like literally, and I'm not trying to escalate the story, tears in my brother's eyes over tacos and enchiladas. And he's, he's talking about the fireworks and the church. He's just talking, he goes, man, I'm just so filled with joy. But from a worldly perspective, what a disappointment. What if he gathered all of his roadies, people who are traveling the country with big names and big bands, sold out arenas, and they go, hey, DeVille, who are you working with now? Who are you working with? The praise team in this small town called Huntington, Tennessee. (laughs) What a disappointment. But my brother would tell you, his family, and his God that I am filled with more joy in this church in Tennessee than I ever was with any big-name band. In any big-name arena. Why? Because I'm satisfied. Because I'm content. Because I am grateful. Because I am thankful. Because I am full can't imagine another bite. And so what God does in your heart, when you start focusing on all the blessing that God has given you, man, you are full with them. I've already told the story, Brian. It's already over, brother. You don't need to bring them in. (laughs) You are full. God is not just enough. He is more than enough. He is in more than enough. If you are behind bars, man, or you are on the beach, God is more than enough. Philippians 4, 18 through 20, he continues and says, Indeed, I have all and from abound. I am full, having received from Ephroditus the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Man, I love this. 
from prison. For all you guys that are complaining and it's never enough and you're always hungry and you're always discontent, what does my brother say? From prison. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, we have to put to death this desire for the American dream. It is a fool's game. It is a mirage, and there are snares on the path to it. As you try to run after more respect and more status and more popularity and more money and bigger homes, you're going to hang yourself. You're going to hang yourself, parent. And stop this foolishness of wanting better for your kids than you have. It is foolishness. You're setting the snares. You ever said it or heard it? I just want my kids to have more than I did. Stop that. You're the one tying the nooses for them. Kids, if you've never heard it before, please hear your pastor. You are not enough. You are not enough. In life, there are a lot of people that exist. And there will always be someone richer. There will always be someone faster. There will always be someone more athletic. There will always have someone have more. There will always be more than you. Always. So you know what you've been told your whole life of, hey, listen, you are just perfect the way you are. That is a lie. But there is only one you. There is only one you. And the reason that that is uniquely powerful and wonderful is that all the people that have come before you are not you and there will never be another one after you. And the God of creation, the God who formed the water, the sea, the sand, the clouds, the animals, you didn't just come together because mom and dad desired it to be so. No, no, you came together because God created you into existence. And then when man crushed all the perfection, the Messiah was told about for thousands of years in the Old Testament, he finally came. And do you know why Jesus Christ came? To make sure that one day he died so that one day you wouldn't. And so listen to me. If that is not enough for you, if that does not make you full, then nothing will. Nothing will. Because you are not enough. And someone will always be more. But God created only one of you because he is good and because he loves you and because you are special. And when you understand that, when you are saturated with that message, well, then let someone else be more athletic. Let them post what they want. Let them be what they want. Let them have more money. Let them win what they have because I am satisfied. I am content. I am full. I am blessed. I am blessed. As we close, last page of notes here. I was talking to Miss Donna. I told you that I did have you one more page to flip. I want you to see these verses. This is how we close. Will you go to John 4? As we close, Miss Donna says she was reading the devotion online and she goes, Hunter, I don't know how you're connecting covetousness and contentment to the woman at the well. I'm about to show you, Miss Donna. It's going to be awesome. Look at John 4, 9 through 15. I'm just going to read it to you. And so if you know anything about this story, the woman is thirsty. The woman is sought after the world in many different ways. She'd been married once. She'd been married twice. She'd been married three times. She'd been married four times. She's fought for men and she's fought for status. She's fought for popularity. She's done whatever she can to find happiness. And then she finds herself in this space in front of Jesus. And it says in 9, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you only knew the gift of God 
And who it is who is speaking to you? Give me a drink, you ask. You would have asked him, and he would have given you the living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water you speak of? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and the livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. They'll never be full, church. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into the everlasting life. You will be content. You will be satisfied. Jesus is more than enough. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I might not thirst, nor come here to draw Again, a closeness with Christ is our only thing that truly quenches our thirst. That is the only thing that quenches our thirst. And so one thing that's frustrating with messages like this is that motivational speeches or guilt or conviction is not enough. And so for you guys that hear this, like be satisfied, be satisfied, be satisfied, Like that only lasts for just a small minute. And so for the only real change that man has, the only hope that man has is you and I pointing our attention daily, hourly, every minute, second on the full work and life of Jesus Christ. Saturate yourself with the gospel daily. And so I was thinking as we close, when I I grew up, I listened to nothing but Worldly secular music. And I'm not saying this is not a point here. There's like, you know, secular music's from the devil. That's not what I'm saying. A lot of great songs out there. But that's all I listened to. I didn't even know Christian music even existed until I met my wife. I was like, you guys got a whole channel, you know? <laughs> like, what other else is besides God that you guys are singing about? And so, but as I got a little older and I was saved and I had my wife around me and some Christian brothers and sisters and then ministry. I have really grown to just wonderfully love Christian music. Man, I love praise. Like, and I'm not talking about just the whole, like, this is what I probably need to listen to. No, like, I'd rather listen to it. Those taste buds have changed. It's just great. I love the sound and the instruments and the music. It's just, I love it, right? Here's my point. So everywhere we go, if I'm in the office studying or doing something, if I'm working out, running, if we're in the car, if I'm going to Walmart, the gas station of Florida, Christian music's on. I'm saturated on the message of God's goodness every second when there's ever even a hum for 10, 12 years. And so we're going someplace with my kids and my kids starts talking about what music we grew up on. And I was telling them mine and Wendy was telling them hers. And Liam goes, let me listen to a little Garth or a little Dave Matthews or something like that. And so we spent about an hour and a half listening to secular music. Remember what I'm saying? Not sinful, but silly. And so we're listening to this music after like a decade of just Christian music every day, saturated in it. And I'm just listening to the words of these songs and the points that they're making and the ideas of these songs. And you just listen, you're like, how ridiculously petty these words are. Like it's about someone's girlfriend and boyfriend and sad and happy and rainbows and trucks and dirt roads. I'm listening to this. I'm like, but I'm a grown man. Like, I don't got time for this mess. Like I'm listening. Like this is ridiculously silly in light of God's goodness. But if that's all you're saturated in is trucks and dirt roads and happy and sad and boyfriend and girlfriend. If that's what you're saturated in, well, hey, it sounds like good music. But man, when you're in God's word with God's people and God's prayer and God's church and God's music. man, I'm full. I don't have time to be jealous of your home. All stars with your kids where you go to school or beach or I am saturated. 
And so the one thing that I want to encourage you in is saturate yourself with the goodness of the Lord. Our hearts are jealous. Our hearts are envious. We want what others have. We are not easily satisfied. If Adam and Eve weren't, you will never be. Saturate yourself with the goodness of God. And when the world steps forward in your life, it will seem ridiculously petty. Ridiculously silly. Because, man, I'm saturated with the only thing that matters. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for today. I thank you for the time that you've given us. I thank you for the songs that we sang, the words that we heard, the teachers who taught, the servers who served. Lord, I thank you for your church. Lord, I pray that as I'm sitting there looking in the mirror and across from 300 people this morning, all who are dissatisfied, All of us in ways of our life with me in the front of the line are discontent in some form or fashion. Lord, crush it with your goodness. Fill our minds, fill our eyes, fill our stomachs, fill us, fill us with your goodness that we could not take another bite. And so now I don't covet and I celebrate my brother's wins. And man, I celebrate and I worship and I praise because my mind is just concentrated on salvation. And my mind's concentrated on your goodness. And my mind is concentrated on your life. The things of this world are silly. Lord, I pray that if anyone does not know you, if that is their life, it sums it up. They are discontent, not because of just our sin in our heart, but because they don't know you. They are not satisfied. They're always starving. Lord, I pray, I pray for salvation. I pray for salvation. Forgive us of our sins. Lead us to the cross. Thank you for your grace. In your precious and in your holy name, the church says, Amen.